Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pixelist Podcast, the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. I'm Will, and that's Blake. My guy, it's so good to have you back, man. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for uh, having me today. Um, Will, let me know that in my contract, if I miss another another recording, that Jeremy gets my lunch. So... Yep. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> All the stock gets diverted to him, so I'm glad we yeah. uh, were able to, you know, miss that clause in the contract activating. But no, yeah. dude, it's uh, it's so good to have you back. Obviously, we love Jeremy, but you know, he just doesn't provide the same the same moxie that you do. True, true. Yeah, and I apologize um, for you guys who watch the channel long term. Um, I've just been really sick, honestly. Not COVID, just like this cold that I can't seem to shake. Still sick today, so I might cough a little bit. But um, apologies to my co-host, and a thank you to my co-host for plunging ahead uh, <laughs> while while I've been sick. So it's been tough. It's tough when you're. If you guys who are watching, if you have kids, you know it's pretty tough when your kids are sick too. It just it's all pretty much chaos. So um, anyway, here I am, and here you guys are watching our channel. So today we're talking a little bit of Critical Role episode forty three. I think that's right. That's called, right. Called uh, Ax- Axiom Shaken. There we go. We <laughs> got it, brother. We're on top of it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> My apologies, too, to anybody that has watched the past two episodes. I don't know if, Blake, I know you've been sick and busy, so you maybe haven't seen it. It's probably for the best if you haven't. I did see but. the disappointment on full display. But... <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah. No, no. They, they were good. You did a great <laughs> job, so... Um, you know, the show must go on. So I appreciate my co-host for continuing that. Um, but we got a lot to talk about today, not yeah. just in critical role, but I mean, we're on the eve of January. We feast in, in January. So much, so much in January. We got, well, obviously campaign three coming back, right. um, after their little end of the year break, right? We got legend of Vox Machina season two, which quick right. plug. I did a trailer breakdown and an episode breakdown. Uh, I hope Blake, I hope you didn't watch that second one. Cause it's very, very spoilery. Well, <laughs> you know, I can't help myself. <laughs> Dang it. Um, I did. I did watch it just a little bit. Um, I did watch just a little bit of it. Um, cause I can't help myself. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, you guys, you got to check out these videos. Will, you do such a great job with the breakdowns. And um, even though I didn't really understand, you know, I, I used to do a spoiler heavy. I didn't really understand anything. Um, well, that's good. Because you were talking about like the final encounter. And I was like, that's cool, you know. Um, but um, yes, yeah, so we have Legend of Ox Machina Season 2. Yep. We have AGDQ. 2023 that's right right. so all games done quick it's the charity um week-long speed running uh event that's going to start on january 8th so a week from this weekend oh man Uh, we're close yeah and i know you don't like to check the schedule um but this year every year is always great you always find a lot of cool little nuggets and games that um which just to give like the little very quick spiel imagine the game that you played when you were a kid or even recently that you spent hours on 
they basically play it and beat it in a fraction of the time and there's a really big community um it's a very big community event too so it's just fun to watch and be part of um yeah so that that'll be happening on january 8th um there was something else i was thinking of but i'm not sure what it was i can't remember if we already said this or not but last of us the last of us which we're going to be covering as yep. well did Season you say you HBO. have an hbo i think we do Okay, we'll we'll get we'll, it worked out. We'll figure out how to watch it. Yeah. Um, and then also, uh, the new campaign from Dimension Twenty. Okay, I that was started this last month. Okay, so the the never after I, or whatever. Yeah, you're talking about yeah. the one that already started though, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, and I I don't we don't really have too much time to get in on this right now, but I'm glad you brought this up because it reminded me of something. I don't know. Do you, I don't know. You're not like a big Twitter guy or social media guy. I don't think, but I mean, let's not even get started on Twitter right now. But anyway, I follow Brennan Lee Mulligan and I follow all of like critical and associated friends as well, including people like Brennan. (laughs) Not (laughs) just kidding. And by the way, guys, we don't like Andrew Tate. So there you go. (laughs) Sorry. If you watch the show, that was just the joke. Yeah. I don't know. There's probably not much of a, an overlap on those two Venn diagrams of like critical role fans and Andrew Tate. We just split some of our base (laughs) as small as they are. But anyway, Um, but anyway, so I don't know if it was, it might not have been yesterday, but it was either yesterday or the day before. Uh, Brennan, Erica Ishii, uh, Abria Iyengar, uh, Lou Wilson. Those are the four that I noticed. There might have been even others, but they all posted like really cryptic uh, things on their social medias being like, check out this new really cool website. And the website is just a countdown timer with like this ethereal, like starry background with like an eye in the middle. And What's it's it just... Let's see. I can probably just find the tweet really quick. If you just go to Brennan's Twitter, you'll be able to find it for sure. Yeah. The, the the URL was like really long, so I don't remember it. But it's just a countdown with a weird background okay, and like yeah. ethereal music playing. And so ears I'm, to the sky, yeah. ears to the sky, new ground all around, heaven split open, and oh what a sound. Dot com. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> check that two- out. But then it says, here it comes, but with like an H-E-A-R, here it comes. So given all the people that are involved with that, to me, that seems like it's some sort of tabletop RPG announcement. Um, It might not be, but just, again, given the fact that Brennan, Apria, Erica, and Lou were all involved, that, you know, seems like it could be. So anyway, that may be something coming that we might want to cover in january as well if it's even a thing maybe it's nothing but yeah for any of us that saw that or has any ideas on what that is let us know in the comments for sure yeah we'll have some we'll definitely have some stuff to cover um even in the next couple of weeks before so critical roles off for two weeks so they're not on this thursday they're not on next thursday i think they are on Um, next thursday they're like already coming back yeah I didn't oh, know that that's either. That's right. Because they said a two week break, but that would be two weeks from this last Thursday. So, yeah, that would make sense. We had a lot of critical role content this month. Yeah. I thought the break, I thought there would be a longer break during the end of the year here, but it's essentially just the normal last yeah. Thursday of the month off is all they did, yeah. really. Yeah. Well, speaking of, should we talk about some Axiom Shaken 
episode content. Yeah, let's do it. And if you're new to us, what we like to do is recap every episode of Critical Role so you can kind of have a little bit of a refresher before we dive in deep to our theory crafting. Um, so we cut that out, host that separately on YouTube. So you might find yourself on that recap video right now, which thanks for checking us out. But if you're interested in hearing our full podcast for all that juicy theory crafting, etc., uh, we will link it down below in the description box, a, uh, the link to the full episode. Um, so, uh, yeah, I feel like I've forgot something, but that's normal. It's just been a minute. Uh, so yeah, without further ado, I guess we'll dive into this recap, which, uh, you down to take the first half. Yeah. All of a sudden I was like, wait, are you doing it or am I doing it? (laughs) (laughs) Tickets or the sandwiches. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so talking about, uh, this episode of critical role, there was so much content. It's a four hour episode and yet it's going to be tough to pack it all into this recap. So Mm -hmm. basically the episode opens up with, um, I'm just going to go and call it FCG's arch nemesis. Uh, (laughs) our little bird friend who had swooped down in the previous episode. And we begin this episode with this scraggly, um, you know, frilly bird that is basically attacking Sam's character. And it does in fact attack it, uh, like splashes some kind of yellowish or green liquid on him. I can't really quite remember. And, um, he takes a little bit of, I think he took one point of poison damage. So, um, a bit of an irony here is that this is, um, absolutely a nuisance and not necessarily, it seems a formidable foe. Um, chaos kind of erupts as everyone's like, you know, let's attack it. Um, Ladna does ice knife on it, uh, which is actually what's going to be what ends up um, causing it to go unconscious. Um, we know that also um, Imogen's going to cast, uh, I think, a level three, maybe even higher, uh, inflict wounds on it. And with her dice, she wrote with a 4D. I think a 46 or a 4010. She does no a three, a 3d6 or 3d10. Um, she does four points of damage, like pretty much the bare minimum that she could have done. Um, we get Orum's uh seedling weapon, uh, which he improved on or really desperately acquired um in a couple of previous episodes, uh, where he does the um, I think called grasping vines. Yeah. Uh, very cool flavor where he like shoots these vines out to restrain uh, this bird and unfortunately misses as well. And um, once Ladna does the ice knife and the bird tumbles and goes unconscious or maybe dies, we don't really know. We know that Chetney jumps on it to sort of keep it um, held prone. Uh, we know FCG does spare the dying. Uh, in typical FCG fashion. And I think it was um, either Orum, no, it was Chetney, I think, who does, um, I can't think of what the spell is, but detecting if it's Fiend, Foe, or, unde- or Fiend, Undead, or Fae. Yeah. Um, and we find out it is Undead. Um, the bird seemingly comes back from the dead, or at least comes back from unconsciousness, seeming to regenerate. And FCG does speak with animals, and it's kind of like, What's going on, man? What's <laughs> what do you want? And this creature doesn't really seem to have any purpose other than to make FCG's life miserable. Uh, doesn't really give us much information. And in fact, we're not even sure if it itself really knows why it seems driven to do this, but basically says, you know, I saw you and I just felt like, you know, bothering you as much as possible. <laughs> um, 
After this, uh, the bird breaks free and manages to fly away, not before Ladna casts Hex on it and also sends Pate to chase after it. Pate, who um, sort of swoopingly flies after it, wanting to make a new friend. But unfortunately, uh, this bird is a bit too fast. So the bird escapes. Uh, they're all kind of like, what the heck was that all about? And it's also this moment that they realize that uh, Ashton is missing. He's no longer there. Uh, they even joke that maybe Ashton was kidnapped by the bird. Um, in real life, though, uh, Talison Jaffe was uh, not feeling well, couldn't be there at the session. And Imogen even does, um, I think, sending to Ashton, uh, where Ashton basically responds and says, hey, I had to go take care of something. I'll be back soon. So he's unfortunately not in this episode today. Anywho, uh, they're basically asking FGG, like, what is going on? And he's like, I don't know, like, as my whole life, this, this creature has been after me. Uh, and it's a bit hazy, even the information he's giving, it's not clear if when he says his whole life, I think Orm even asked, like, do you mean, like, pre-calamity your whole life? Or yeah. do you mean just recently? And he's like, I don't know, I don't know. Um but all that to say, they're kind of like, well, that was weird. Um, actually, they do make a joke on, should we track it? Should we follow it? And then I think, uh, um, oh man, what is it? Travis is like, so this is what we're doing today. <laughs> like, this is our <laughs> this is our session today. Is we're chasing after this bird, and they're like, okay, okay, let's get back to the main reason why we're in Eos. Um, and if you remember, they are there to find Ebenold Kai and Professor um, Sumal. I think was their names, uh, and they're at the seminary. So. They make their way to the seminary um, in the Dominion Ring, and they basically go to this front desk clerk uh, named Carol. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, is that right? And, uh, and basically asking Carol a bunch of questions, like, "Hey, where's Ebenold Kai?" And they're like, "Oh, well, Ebenold Kai actually has canceled his classes for the semester. No one's seen him in weeks. In fact, there is some frustrated academics and." Uh, administration type people who are annoyed that his classes are canceled. We don't know where he is. Um, and then they ask about Professor Sumal, and they're like, oh, he'll be here tomorrow, or she'll be here tomorrow. I can't remember which, which, uh, which it is. We'll be here tomorrow, basically, at noon. So they start to ask him more questions, and um, there's a couple of perception, or uh, excuse me, persuasion checks, maybe even like a deception check. I think Fern even actually says like, "Oh, are you guys looking for a new professor?" And Carol's like, uh, "Well, yes. Do you do you know anyone?" And uh, Fern's in typical chaotic Fern fashions, like, "Yes, actually, I could be a great professor. I know lots of things." <laughs> like, well, we're gonna need a little bit more than that, like some stuff you've published, you know, basic stuff. Um, it's around this time that Orum, with his 29 in perception, feels this unsettling presence and the room kind of grows silent as this large figure enters the lobby of the seminary, this seven-foot-tall, brutish, hulking, scraggly red hair, and an eyeless mask covered in some sort of script or scrawl uh, covered over their face. This figure walks in the room, and Carol basically informs them that this is a judicator, which is one of the basically elite. They're called bodyguards. They're called boogeymen. They're called um, sort of like um, uh, I can't even think like houndsmen, um, bloodhounds. Excuse me, um, who work for the highest echelons of Vasselheim, and that they are in Eos looking for something. They've been here for a couple of weeks, and everyone basically hates that they're there. They're very unsettling. Um, 
don't seem to speak. In fact, Jenny even goes up to this character and is like, hey, what's up? <laughs> this character says nothing, just looks at him, looks at the entire group, and then leaves. The party sort of surmises that maybe they're here looking for the stolen texts that were taken from Vasselheim. Um, it's around this point that Carol is becoming very suspicious of this group. It's kind of like, I don't really know you guys at all. You're asking a lot of questions. And even asks, like, are they here? Are the adjudicators here for you? Um, they basically ask for Ebon Old Kai's address. And she's like, no, I don't <laughs> even know you. And not only is like put off by them, but you could tell is is sort of thinking like there's something really suspicious about you guys actually because mm -hmm. of how forward you're being. And it's in this moment that FCG cast fast friends on Carol and uh, successfully makes her a best friend for one hour. <laughs> and uh, Carol immediately changes her temperament and is like, of course, I, how can I say no to you guys? Um, and is like, well, why don't I show you where Evan Old Kai lives? And they're like, okay. And there's a bit of a funny debate. I'm like, what do we do in an hour? Because she's going to know that she, we were basically charmed her, so to speak. Right. Um, and there's some joking around like, should we kill her? Like, should we, <laughs> how do we get rid of her? <laughs> and Matt just does this great like indulging thing of you know she has to like take her vitamins and get like her her jacket and you know, all this like stuff it's it's silly but um basically they they make small talk with carol find out about some side hustle stuff that she's doing just friendly stuff and then uh eventually she takes them to Evan old kai's place um and it's at this place that they basically decide um uh, it's, it's Evan old Kai's house behind this gate. Um, and it seems sealed from the inside and uh Oh, nailed down through the chimney while everyone else kind of meanders and looks as, um, normal as they can, even pretending that they're gardeners as two sentries walk by Chetney makes his way inside. Um, and immediately smells sweat off someone nervous. Looks around, can't find anyone. Finally brings in the rest of the party. Um, they're looking everywhere for this character, even like announcing like, I'm an old Kai, we're looking for you. Basically eventually find, and this place is even trapped from the inside in like a very um, Estrost kind of way. They eventually find a secret passage down to a basement where two characters... Um, Ebonold Kai and then an elvish woman are reading from a scroll. Um, they even throw a skull out um, uh, to basically blind um, Orem and uh, Chetney and even are successful in frightening Orem. And then they open a portal where um, they escape and the party very quickly rushes in to this portal and while screaming, pulling the screaming Orem over the skull <laughs> Goodness gracious, that was a long half of the recap. Uh, we take our break, and then we'll... Basically, nothing else happened that episode, right? Yep, that was it. <laughs> no, good the job. The adjudicator thing happened. I was like, yeah, Will said there was a lot in here. I guess that's what he meant. And then <laughs> the second half is pretty crazy. So anyway, go ahead, man. So yeah, um, so yeah, there's a, a bunch of lore in this second half. I'm going to try to get it through it efficiently. Um, and also, really quick... I think something happened with my internet for like three seconds. So there might've been like a cutout very briefly there. So apologies. I'll have to go back okay. and check after we're done, but apologies if that happened, y'all, it shouldn't have been long if it did. Anyway. So we pick back up with the party, basically 
slipping into this teleportation magic in like just enough time for them all to get through. Uh, and they now find themselves in this dark cavern filled with like this hot sulfurous air. And there's even like a lava stream with molten rock kind of like trickling by them as well. The two people they were chasing, uh, Evan Old Kai and this woman, are about 20 feet away. And the woman is actually loading a crossbow. Orm's like, hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. We're here. Like, we're here from uh, Ro Astani. We have a letter. Uh, we, we're seeking the help of the Grim Verity. And so Evan Old Kai is like, okay, wait a second. And, you know, takes the letter and actually reads it and then tells uh, the woman to lower the crossbow. He apologizes and it's like, hey, you know, we were expecting more aggressive visitors. So, you know, all our apologies. Um, and Imogen's like, oh, uh, are you talking about the Judicators? Like, what's up with that? And Ebenold's like, yeah, I, presumably they're looking for us, uh, you know, myself and Baron here. Um, and so everyone kind of introduces themselves. They're like, you know, we're Bell's Hells. And they're actually uh, introduced Fern as their leader. And uh, then, you know, Ebenhold is is Ebenhold and uh, the woman is Dr. Baron Vestisho. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. And she is a doctor of Exandrian history, specifically the time around the founding and the schism. She says that, uh, you know, she and a couple of her colleagues basically found some stuff that put them in the crosshairs of powerful and dangerous people in Vasselheim, i.e. the judicators are after them. So Orem's like, uh, where are we, by the way? And they're like, oh, we're in, you know, the abode of one of our allies and points to a third figure that's actually there. Uh, this female tiefling in her late 50s, deep ruby red skin, white blue eyes, horns, short black hair. And she's actually like holding a wand in their direction saying that like, yeah, the only reason you're not like dead is because you seem to be, you know, potential allies here. Um, so she says, this is, you know, one of the places of my research and introduces herself as Rin, um, plane rider Rin, in fact, <laughs> and, uh, asks like, why are y'all here? And FCG says, you know, we were looking for Ebenold because of spooky moon stuff and all these things we've been learning. Uh, we were basically following the trail of the Loomis twins and Imogen starts to explain that like, yeah, this is basically all because of me, like, and explains her dreams and her mother, um, basically that she's Ruidus born. And then Baron's like, oh, like I wonder if Imogen is an exultant and explains how certain yeah. Ruidus borns have these stronger connections and en enhanced abilities because of it. And Imogen's like, yeah, did you guys know my mother? And uh, they did, obviously, because of the study. Um, so then Rin, you know, lowers her wand and basically welcomes him properly. So then we get into basically just a bunch of questions, like everybody getting up to speed with each other. And in through this, we learn a lot. Um, we basically find out that not Bell's Hells, the rest of these people, how they got into this. And Baron talks about how there were inconsistencies in the historical records that she was studying for Ruidus. And in the early days of the Grim Verity's research, even the high bearers of Vasselheim would just like push away and shoo away anyone who asked about such things. Um, there's a man named Arnold Trott um, who is mentioned. That's one of their like Grim Verity allies. And they say that he was captured and taken in after the ancient texts were um, stolen. And they have another ally, Janina, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, um, which a little bit more on her later, but she's also mentioned. Uh, so after the Grim Verity gets all this heat on them because of the stolen text and everything, they basically scattered and Rin kind of offered them sanctuary. 
and she talks about her own history and how she got connected, how she's, you know, this plane rider studies the planes. Um, and she got really interested in these ruidous flares and the different bursts of energy that seemed to to coincide with them. Uh, this led her into diving into Ruidus, which led her into finding the Omen archive and thus the Grim Verity. Um, so she found these strange abnormalities in the realms closest to Exandria as well, the Shadowfell and the Feywild, and found strange devices in each of those realms being built to seemingly tap into this coming apex. So that's kind of what got her into all of this. Right. So... Then the group starts talking about the stolen texts and Ebenold and Baron have both read them and Imogen's like, do they mention a city on the moon? And they do not, but they're very interested in that. So Bell's Hells then fills them in on what they saw through the device and the telescope, how they saw the city and the, the God energy lattice. Um, they then talk about uh, the nightmare King Ira and his kind of involvement in that device and the Cerberus assembly. Um, Ren is familiar with the service assembly, of course, um, and she's heard of Ira by reputation, but doesn't know him personally. And then the group's like, okay, so what was in these texts? And the texts basically speak of two deities that have been forgotten by history, but existed long ago. We've got Ethodoc, the Endless Shadow, and Vordo, the Fate Shaper. Ethodoc was the god of darkness and winter, and Vordo was the god of fate and order. Uh, the texts also prove that Ruidus didn't always exist, and it was in fact created by the gods. Um, there was this era during the founding where the gods were afraid of something. Something had come from beyond the stars um, that the gods recognized when it arrived, and they called it Pradathos. And Pradathos resisted their miracles and hunted them, and is said to have spawned its own twisted life in its wake as it did so. Um, Perdathos devoured Ethodoc and then Vordo. So then the texts speak of this accord between the primordial titans and the gods to carve a prison from Exandria itself to seal away Perdathos in and sent it into the darkness. But the prison clung to our world and hung in the sky as a new moon. So the theory that they have is that in attempting to erase this known history, surrounding Ruidus and the moon and Pradathos, um, that would be their best way of like dodging interest in it so that it would maybe never become a danger again. And it has worked for a long time, but clearly that's not working anymore. So they took this information to like the high bears and the top clerics and priests, but it was like met with extreme prejudice and denial. And now those same people are trying to silence them. So they're like, yeah, so you are now in possession of knowledge that basically paints a large target on your back. Um, so the group's like, okay. And then they get into being like, do you guys know about Odahan? Um, and they're like, yeah, they think that she's probably an exultant as well. Um, she's been building an army all over Exandria of Ruidusborns and they've all been coming to Marquette, especially recently. They've all just been coming in droves. Like they're drawn here for some reason. Um, and they assume that's where Imogen's mother probably is like amongst these Ruidusborns that are being drawn here. Uh, and they, talk about how her mother was like an incredible subject in their study. Um, but then Odahan found her along with the Cerberus assembly and basically her, uh, Liliana's personal quest for like finding answers about like what's going on with her trumped her better judgment. And she went with them. Um, Orem's then like, so what are you guys even like, what's the Grim Verity trying to do here? And they're basically Ebenold and Baron are more scholarly, you know, and they're just trying to find out more. But Rin, plain writer Rin is 
is a doer. She wants to do something about all of this. She knows people are trying to utilize this coming apex uh, for no good, basically. And she's going to do whatever she can to stop them from doing that. And Bell's Hells are like, boom, we're with you on that. Yeah, so let's do, let's do weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so they then talk more about Rudis Borns. Um, again, there's just a lot here. But uh, Chetney asks if Ethodoc and Vordo were prime deities or betrayer gods. And they tell him that, well, this was before that distinction. So, but this was back when all the gods like worked together, um, at least in some capacity. Um, so then Rin starts talking about these devices that she's seen in both the Feywild and uh, the Shadowfell and the prime material plane, actually. And basically that they maybe should look to kind of sabotage one of these is maybe a first plan of action. Um, and she says that she had been researching the ley lines and came to find out that the, the cycle of how they shipped over Exandria isn't random, but is just that a cycle that they go through over long periods of time. And the Nexus North of Eos, um, where this next one is, or one of the nexuses of this next apex rather is going to be, she was going to study, but came to find that the Cerberus assembly had essentially taken it over this excavation site where this nexus is. They basically bullied their way in. Um, and that's where this, one of these devices um, is in fact at right now. So they're like, maybe we could get in and sabotage that. Uh, but where this device is being built at this nexus uh, it actually has ties to this Tishtan culture. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Which was this like old society that basically just vanished off the face of the planet um, during the time of like the schism. Um, so they're like, okay, so what can we do about all this? We can't face an army of rudest borns, but like maybe we can infiltrate like as different small seated groups and distract rather than like face head on. So they're like, yeah, I mean, that's probably our best bet. So let's try to do something about these devices. And Rin again says, like, they aren't just telescopes. They have this, like, unique planar tether aspect to them. And, like, they're definitely important to whatever's going on. So, like, if we had someone on the inside, maybe they could help us out. Um, so, and this conversation leads to Fern being like, well, my grandma could probably help us out. You know, she's in the Feywild and she's really strong. And, um... Rin has heard of Mori, the fate stitcher, and is like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that's somebody that could probably help. Um, but they're concerned about traveling to the Feywild and the weird time dilation stuff that happens there. And um, Morrigan, Fern's grandmother, as a uh, archfey, could probably help them with that uh, mm -hmm. that problem. So they're like, okay, well, let's let's ask. So. Imogen gets some more information on Fern really quick before she then tries to send a message to Mori and is basically like, hey, I'm Fern's friend. She misses you. Uh, we need some help. Could you help us with the timey-wimey wobble-wobble aspects of the Feywild? And uh, Mori responds and is like, so excited to hear about Fern. Is like, tell her to come visit and I can help always. So the group's then like, okay, well, what else do we need to accomplish like right now in EOS? And they're first and foremost like, oh yeah, Ashton, we gotta, we gotta meet back up with Ashton. <laughs> um, and then they're like, well, what about the judicators? Like who sent those anyway? And they're told it was definitely Vasselheim, uh, specifically the high bearer of the platinum sanctuary. 
Uh, they've been chasing them ever since these texts were stolen to make sure the knowledge yeah. gained and the people who gained it are basically permanently forgotten. Um, Chetney's like, yeah, we saw the judicators uh, and they probably know that we came to your house next. So you might want to be careful. And they're like, okay. Um, they're like, okay, well, how do we get back? And plane writer ends like, don't worry, I got you. Where do you want to go back to? And they ultimately land on just going back to the basement where they came from. Um, and so she sends them back, they arrive and basically immediately Chetney hears like the sound of splintering wood and can hear like steps above them from where they are in the basement. And he quickly like closes the false door and is like, Hey, there's people here. Uh, they didn't hear a voice that says, you sure you heard them here? Smell them, find them. And that's where the episode ends. Long one. And that was episode. Shaken. Uh, that was our recap. And if you're not, if you're watching just the recap video, click the link in the comments or in the description uh, for our full breakdown and discussion. And we want to know what you thought of the episode and your thoughts and best guesses as to what is freaking going on. <laughs> Will, my friend, um, man, it's been a while since we've sat down. Uh, we've had a good stretch of episodes, but this one was. It's just always great when you end like before a break and there's so much to chew on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. One of my monitors turned off a hundred percent, dude. And I was so glad that, uh, you know, that you were able to come back for this one because this is such a juicy, meaty episode. And I'm so glad we get to dive into it instead of me just rambling at a stuffed animal for this one. (laughs) I know. <laughs> the timing was great. Your life is so sad. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not talk about it. Yeah, I I sent Will. I don't know if you guys can see the gif of like, you know, what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so great episode, hands down. Um it it threw me back to that episode when we saw Roastani actually, and we got information on being Ruidus born. Um, it was very nostalgic for me of that episode. Um, just some deep lore drops and some not just awesome lore drops, but really some really. I'm always impressed. Like Matt does such a great job with world building, but then you have an episode where the level of world building inspires you as a DM. We had the judicators uh which i'm curious if we've heard of these characters before the judicators um the platinum sanctuary which sounds pretty pretty cool and then all the crazy stuff happening with ruidus i don't even know where to start man um yeah but what'd you think of the episode (sighs) yeah crazy episode for the reasons you just said uh like one of the biggest lore bombs I think the biggest of the campaign, probably the one you mentioned is probably a close right there with it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel bad about giving this one the title. And one of the biggest there's, there's episodes like this in all the campaigns, but this is definitely one of the biggest across all the campaigns. I feel like, but this one definitely affects past campaign three. I mean, it's it's the world of Exandria. So yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Maybe I'm, Maybe I'm being biased because it was such like deep lore that covers everything, you know? Um, but so, yeah, you know, you know, I eat that stuff up. So really enjoyed the episode. And uh, this just, it's also, 
even though it's deep world lore, it's also very like we're finally getting to some of the truths of the central questions we've had for the whole campaign. You know, like yeah. what is Ruidus? What's going on with this moon? Um, I mean, we basically know now. I mean, obviously there's still stuff to uncover, but you know, it's moon's haunted. It's Pradathos in there. So, uh, yeah, I don't know where to start either. There's just, there's so much to talk about, uh, to answer your question really quick that you, that you asked this is the first time we've seen judicators um okay somebody correct me if i'm wrong there but i'm fairly certain this is the first time i'm surprised that um vox machina have never come across them or heard of them because didn't they've been to vasselheim i mean they were fairly involved in um you know some deity stuff so i'm just surprised it hasn't come up and maybe it has come up since campaign one has ended you know, presumably if uh, Keyleth is, you know, has had business in Vasselheim, you know, I think it's safe to assume has interacted with or is aware of the Judicators or maybe even the Platinum Sanctuary. Yeah, well, she's definitely aware of the Platinum Sanctuary because um, this goes back to Campaign 1 and Legend of Vox Machina, um, Lady Kima, which... If yeah. you've seen Campaign One or if you've seen Legend yeah. of Vox Machina, she is like a champion of the Platinum Sanctuary, oh. a paladin of the Platinum Sanctuary, which is of the a, Platinum Dragon. Yeah, which is Bahamut. Which yeah, that's what they'll call it in Campaign Three, I'm sure. In Legend of Vox Machina, they may do away with both of those names, so I'm not sure if it's necessarily true of that canon. Um, but for the campaign canon, yeah, Platinum Sanctuary is Bahamut's order, if you will. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool so it'll be interesting to see maybe we even see her potentially i don't think that's really necessary but possible um bro i'm so jealous of you and like all these potential like nostalgia bombs <laughs> like if lady kima shows up or you know we had uh planes rider rin mm -hmm. in this episode which the cast were just like losing their minds i definitely didn't have Ren on my bingo card for what was going to happen <laughs> in this episode yeah me neither um see so yeah, that's that's always fun but uh oh my train of thought just left the station but yeah plane rider Ren. that was just while we're here really quick to touch on that that location that they teleported to that that cave and the elemental plane of fire and the, the cast mentioned this but for those of you that didn't see campaign two they actually went to that exact place during campaign two so it was kind of i'm sure it was really cool for them to just like be like wait are we here again um and plane rider rin was not there in campaign two when they went so it's cool that she was actually there this time and they got to yeah now why did they go in campaign two all right spoilers uh campaign two and this is like end of campaign two so i'll i'll wave my hands when i'm done for those of you that want to mute um but long story short they were basically um well you you watched um the mighty nine reunion remember when caleb went to usus tower and he got some mm -hmm. potions from him yeah. so they were in usus tower and uh usa is a powerful uh mage wizard as well and they basically were having to to run away they had to escape and in a hurry and so they were just kind of going through usus stuff and there was a teleportation scroll and they're like, this is better than nothing. And so they just read this teleportation scroll and it teleports them there. Okay. Uh, and it's because he and Rin were like allies. And that was like a kind of, here's your ticket to get here if you need it kind of thing. Um, so they were basically running away and 
were just looking for any ticket out and it they happened to be there. Um, yeah. Okay. But again, Plane Rider Wren wasn't there at the time. Uh, so. Okay. <laughs> not not really that spoilery, but. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if you had something, go ahead. Cause I'm just trying I'm, to decide I'm where to go. Popcorn this thing. I mean, you, if you want to just latch onto something, I'll follow. All right. Well, let's, let's move. There's one thing pre all the deep lore I want to talk about. So let's knock okay. that out of the way first. And that is this bird at the start of the episode that attacks yeah. FCG. Yeah. Um, one, and I think this was, I think I briefly, briefly talked on this in one of the past two episodes. Um, I guess it was, it was the one previous with the cliffhanger that the bird showed up in. I was saying that I was surprised that that was even really a thing, which I won't get into the whole spiel of it again, because I already gave it, but because we know that FCG is the one that murdered his friends, I originally right. thought that the bird might've been what killed his friends. But when we found out that wasn't the case, I was like, okay, so... Is this bird thing even true? Like, what's going on with the bird? Well, because so, the earlier, the red herring of, of before we knew the truth about FGG, if you guys remember, the small details was a creature with one eye and a shadowy, almost like flying away kind of thing. Um, so that's, that's we assumed originally that maybe there was some kind of beast or something that was a bird. And yeah. then um, in Basaros, it, it felt like more, again, of a red herring once we knew the truth about FCG. Right. So when it showed up, I was like, oh, so this is actually, like there is a bird not tied. Yeah. Well, I guess I can't definitively say it's not tied to the massacre of his friends, but at least not it's not the murderer of his friends because that is FCG. Right. So what is this thing? And yeah, I don't know. It, it was definitely interesting how you brought up in the recap how FCG doesn't know if this bird has been chasing him for like hundreds of years or just since, you know, his 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 new life, if we can call it that, since do he we, was rebooted. Do we think that maybe like in 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 death he was cursed like one of his troop cursed him or something and this is because the bird also doesn't I, I i didn't get the impression that the bird was being um unwilling to be forthcoming i think it even said like i don't know there's just something about you yeah <laughs> Which, i love how the matt described it as if like someone had been smoking for their whole life and you know <laughs> sort of this gurgle type of voice but there's just something about you that i want to just ruin <laughs> And so it almost one, it almost seems like this is this creature's purpose. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of envision like, you know, it's, it's a visual reminder of his, his crime, his, what he did to his friends uh, in brutally murdering him, murdering them. And this is, this is his eternal punishment, damnation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, or at least in the meantime, something that, is a reminder of hey you can't you can't ignore what you did yeah i mean that that lines up for me and okay yeah because yeah, i am it seems like you put it well the the bird was forthcoming now i don't know if they did they roll inside checks or anything i don't remember if they no, did because only fcg could understand it oh right right but yeah i'm of the team that the bird is being honest and that it's just like driven to do this for some reason. So I think that the curse aspect makes a lot of sense. Um, be it from, you know, one of his party members that he turned on 
Or if it is a longer term thing, maybe even something similar, but maybe with someone he assassinated in his in his past life as the yeah. the sleeper robot, you know? Right. Um but the bird was undead, which yeah. makes me think of like revenants from D D, which are like the spirits that will like even if you kill them, they're eventually gonna come back still. So like uh, that I'd never heard of like a bird revenant, but obviously anything's possible. So it could even be something that happened with that bird specifically that caused it to become like a vengeful spirit for some reason, like beyond the fact that it was like summoned or commanded to do this by another entity. Like maybe just the bird itself is the entity that, that is seeking vengeance for some reason. Yeah. And I was trying to see if there's like an actual, um, cause you know, Matt, I think any DM does this, but Matt likes to homebrew, like a sort of yeah. take an idea and then homebrew and spin it out into something else. Um, I was trying to see if there was any kind of curse in D&D 5e where something will like harass you, like taunt you, you know, bother you um, uh, in perpetuity. And so yeah. I, I don't see anything, but um, um, I'm wondering if there, if he is cursed in some way. Um, and yeah. I, I, and I'm curious if not only is he cursed, but does he have something that is causing, cause you know, a lot of times there's cursed items in D and D, right. does he have something that is causing the curse? Like maybe the saw blade from his friend. I mean, I don't know. Cause didn't he get the saw blade from one of his, uh, one of his troop members that he killed. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So, so yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I, I was curious, and of course, you know, Matt could have just completely made something new up. But yeah, similarly, right. it was like, did he ship something? And Revenant was the only thing that could even come close. Which, for those of you that don't know, it's just um, some like somebody that dies that has like a super vengeance against you, whatever, and they claw like they come back as like an undead new entity, and they like seek you out for revenge. Yeah, and that can like happen over and over again. Um. Yeah, look at this. This is this is such a spot on insight. Um, undead, um, and it says uh, one of its abilities is um, vengeful tracker. The revenant knows the distance to and direction of any creature which it seeks its revenge, uh, even if they're on different planes of existence. Which we know, I think maybe uh, uh, I almost said Keyleth Ladna makes the comment that. Um, uh it, it knew where you were like from Basaras all the way yeah like it flew all this way um so that that lines up to me that it's some kind of revenant of something that um that it killed and it says uh, a revenant forms from the soul of a mortal who met a cruel and undeserving fate it claws its way back into the world to seek revenge against the one who killed it <sighs> See that that lines up in some ways, but and of course, every anything can be homebrewed or tweaked um, for the purposes of the narrative, right? But I would feel like in most cases, a revenant would know, like it wouldn't, it would know why it wanted to, like it knows why it hates you, and the bird, according to itself, at least, is just like, no, nah, just you know. You I suck. Maybe it's like a, a sixth sense, sixth sense thing where it doesn't, <laughs> it yeah. doesn't really know what's going on. Just that, um, you know, it just wants to. 
ruin FCG. So yeah. uh, great insight. I think we're on the same page. Um, and it's it's just great knowing that, you know, FCG's story isn't done, uh, which wasn't, you know, dovetailed already, but there were already some open open paths there with um, uh, What's-Her-Face, who, you know, was like, leave me alone, never speak to me again. Um, uh, dancer. Dancer, yeah, right. So, yeah. who knows? And for my money, though, there's more to this. Like, it's not just a gag of, oh, this thing right. from your backstory is just a bird that hates you. Like, I definitely think there's more to uncover there. Yeah. Well, I mean, every great DM, too. I mean, I'm sure you've had this happen yourself where, like, a player makes a joke or, you know, does, like, a little bit of a flavor thing mm -hmm. for their character, and you start to, the gears start to turn. You're yeah. like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Uh, well, so we had, they had that happen. Um Let's talk about the Judicators. Yeah, okay. Which these... So the info we got was that it seems like these were um, warriors or not necessarily soldiers, but people who volunteer, who sort of sign up for this, and that through a very intense training process, what have you, they are transformed into what we saw. I, I'm assuming since since Matt described them as basically humanoid, it lets us know that um, the impression I got at least not um, a giant, not a giant race, uh, which to me implies that through whatever spell or training, it transforms them into this hulking figure, speechless, um, not that it can't speak. Um, and then somehow in like a very, neo matrix kind of way can see the room despite wearing a mask with no eyelids runes and sigils carved you know inked on their body um a very we're obviously fighting one of these right i mean <laughs> we're gonna this is gonna be a battle at some point right i i mean it seems that way it might be what happens next uh because for my money that's probably who broke in was one of these judicators and a handler or whatever, maybe not yeah. though. And I maybe maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves. We could talk about that later. Uh, but yeah, I just pictured these as like awesome. Like, I don't know if I'm going to use this term correctly, but like dogs of war, like just like military yeah, or maybe military, maybe not the right word, like religious zealot, I guess that's been turned into a weapon essentially. Yeah. I kept thinking of a uh, pyramid head from silent hill <laughs> like just this crazy imposing brutish character and there seem there's multiple ones of them right so mm -hmm. um and it also made me wonder um you know i kind of just always assumed like the vasselheim crew were like they're the good guys you know and it, it definitely for me kind of fell into that more gray area especially since like the grim verity i assumed maybe you did too the grim verity was in hiding because of Atahan and the um yeah. her her army the paragon's call and the whether it's the same thing or separate from the paragon's call her army of rude is born um so they'd gone into hiding because Adahan was killing them off. Um, maybe it wasn't just Adahan killing them off. Maybe, presumably, this these high exarts of the Platinum Sanctuary are similarly trying to... Um, I don't know. I mean, what's no, your take? Yeah, I'm with you. I think it is... Um, it's, it's these... 
I don't know specifically. I think like the the term high bear was used, and just like these high clerics and priests in Vasselheim. I think they're the ones that they're running from because they've stole this forbidden knowledge that they really don't want to get out, and they'll you know right. silence it by any means necessary. So yeah, you know, not that it's a lot. It's a lot more complex than than black and white, good and evil, right? Like there are people that and maybe in their mind it's for the greater good, right? Because they're, I mean, I. Maybe I shouldn't give them the benefit of the doubt, but it could be greater good. Like we can't let this information get out because then maybe, maybe Pradathos comes back with domino effect somehow or something, or who yeah. even knows if they even know what's in it, you know, like yeah. maybe they don't even know what's in the text, but it's just, you know, our texts was stolen. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm getting kind of off base here, but let me ask you a question. Do you think, do you think Keyleth knows about this kind of stuff and more importantly if they called on keyleth to help do you think keyleth would be on their side all right do i think keyleth knows about like pradathos pradathos or at least the text that were stolen i think she knows that a text was stolen but i don't think she has any idea what's in it okay so I and, think that maybe from Vasselheim's, I'm glad you brought this up because I, I wanted to talk about this, but I forgot earlier because we know Keyleth has been in Vasselheim right. that, like, you know, when she, back when she was meeting with Bell's Hells or whatever. I think that's what she said, right? Like, oh, I'm still in Vasselheim or whatever. I imagine this is what she was called in for, at least tangentially. Maybe they were also talking about the apex and what these different groups around the world were trying to do, but at least. I bet she was brought in the loop of like, oh yeah, these texts were stolen. Now, were they bringing her in to help with that specifically or anything? I doubt it, but I bet she's in the loop on that. Um, but yeah, I don't think she has any idea what's in there. Cause I think this mm -hmm. like, they don't want anyone to know what's in there, you know? So yeah. I definitely don't think she's complicit in any of, of that like cover up attempt, if you will. Sure. Sure. Do you think that if they called on her and she found out, what was, I guess what I'm, where my mind's going is, could we head to a situation, which this could be totally invented. They never hear from Keelan ever again. Like Fox Machina at that moment came and gone in the campaign. They're over and done with, which I don't necessarily think that's true because Matt via planes, plane rider Ren basically was like, Hey, if you have any powerful friends, now's the time to call them, which to me felt like a let Vox Machina know about this big event happening, which I, I don't know. Maybe we pause there just for a quick second, by the way. Did you have any kind of similar thoughts or um, not, I mean, what powerful friends are you going to call? I I did think that was like a, it's kind of like a call to arms, like get your allies together to tackle this. Cause this is big. I obviously that is what she was saying. It's basically what she exactly said, but I didn't take that to mean get Vox Machina. Now I think, cause we already know Keyleth has like, a million fires she's trying to put out right including stuff with this solstice already so i think you know maybe they'll reach out to her because that is somebody powerful they know just to like fill her in but i don't think the intention was that like loop them in and get them yeah. to come help i think it was more like you know and i can't of course think of anything right now but like get your allies that you've curated over this campaign whether that be I mean, Eshros has passed away, but all their friends are dead. Yeah, true. <laughs> maybe the Gorgini. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Maybe there's like a Riders of Rohan kind of moment where <laughs> the Gorgini show up. 
I don't know. I also like in like a very twisted way envision like Vox Machina coming to like this battle site or whatever, and then the party just seeing Vox Machina get like totally obliterated. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, did you just kill our characters? I don't know. I mean, I just thought like, oh, this is serious. So, I mean, I could see, well, I could see running into Keyleth again, or at least via the message spell, just for them wanting to fill her in or something like that. But I really don't see, like, I just don't think Matt, I feel like that takes away the spotlight. You know, if they were like, now go collect your campaign one character so you're strong <laughs> enough to do this. In this session, you're role-playing as yeah. which character? <laughs> so yeah. I think for the sake of the narrative, it makes sense that she might be interwoven in like to some of this yeah. since she's going to be dealing with stuff too, but not in the not in the like, we're going to go into this battle side by side. <laughs> the only thing I wondered was if we would be heading to a moment where they're like, see, Keyleth, this is what's happening. We need your help. And Keyleth, seeing the big picture or maybe involved in the big picture, says hey actually we need to get these texts back like this is too powerful for people to know about and then like turn on the party but basically is like there's like a moment of friction where it's like oh geez this person who was kind of like our ace in the hole is now basically being like no like we need to side with the platinum platinum sanctuary yeah i mean that would be a cool moment i just keel i don't think keelith is just like by default siding with Vasselheim. I think she's concerned about sure. hers, her people, you know? And again, I don't even think she probably knows really the like yeah. what Vasselheim is even trying to hide type of stuff. But it'll be interesting to see because, I mean, you do bring a good point that that's... I imagine that Belzels will try to reach out to her. So it'll be interesting to see what that does lead to, if anything. Um and what she does or does not know, I guess. But I really don't think she knows any of the, yeah, the deep lore from the texts. It sounds like we agree exactly on what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, what else about the judicators and that whole bit? Yeah, I don't know. I'm interested to see them in action. I imagine they're very strong. So, um. I mean, for your money, do you think that's who it was at the end of the episode, or do you think that could be some other party? I think I think that it could be uh, the three groups where I go to. Um, technically, four. Um, one could be the Unseelie Court. I, I'm basically I, I have here's where here's where I've looped it in. Actually, two groups: um, Otahan's group or um, Vasselheim's group. So okay. Starting with Atahans, it could be any. It could be the Cerberus Assembly, who they are, you know, sort of like tying up loose ends before this big event in less than two weeks. So it's it's a group. It's a character we haven't seen yet. Um, it could be someone from the Unseelie Court, because uh, we know they've been chasing after Fern. We know that um, you use you you Can't yeah remember. you um, had vowed to return. Um, or three, it's Atahan or Paragon's Call or Ruidus Army-esque group trying to, again, tie up a loose end. I don't really like any of those theories because Eos is relatively hot right now with the presence of the Judicators. You know, if I'm one of those groups, I'm wanting to go somewhere that's not going to 
raise the attention of Vasselheim or yeah. anyone anyone powerful enough to stop what I have in mind. So my guess is the closest link, which is the Judicators, which we've already seen. We know two things. We know the Judicator saw the whole troop and that Chetney, you know, I think even Laura Bailey kind of gave, gave a joking like, wow, thanks, Chetney. And now, we, <laughs> now we're all together. <laughs> yeah. So we know the Judicator already saw the whole troop. We know that Carol is aware that Fast Friends was cast on her. And they they sort of left that hoping that they had made genuine enough of friendship with her to when you know when it ends, it being you know, her being like, Well, we're actually our friends, so it's okay. Well, Basically, they have blackmail on her though, too. True, but it's it's not really I, I don't know if it's really that um uh, tangible a blackmail, even though even though it is, it could be it could be, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it wasn't like a deliberate blackmail where it's like, hey, if you say anything, then we'll let this. You know, it's kind right. of implied. You know, yeah. we have this detail, but we know that Carol was suspicious of them, um, hates the judicator in their presence, and also is aware this group was looking for Ebenold Kai uh, and also Professor Suma, Sumal, which. You know, I think that's an interesting data point. I'm saying a lot, sorry. That's an interesting data point because Ebenold Kai mentions that Sumal is able to continue her classes because no one has suspected her because she's sort of a fringe member. Well, now here's a group that has now linked the two of them together, uh, which I think is an interesting data point. Um, so all that to say, I think it's adjudicator. Um, <laughs> since they don't speak, maybe smell, maybe you can smell them. I don't know. Um, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think that makes the most sense. Um, yeah, especially the, the smell, like, can you smell them or whatever was said, which maybe they can still see. I mean, we don't know, but we do know that they have a mask with no eye holes. So maybe they smell like, maybe that's, they're like daredevil, you know, with a heightened yeah. other senses. And so, cause I saw, I think I saw somebody mention, that they thought it was werewolves because smell, yeah. which I mean, it could be, but to me, I think smell just as easily points to the judicator since we know mm -hmm. they don't have eyes. They might have eyes, but you know what I'm saying? Um, so yeah, I think that makes more sense. I think it was also mentioned that Chetney didn't recognize the voice that was speaking. So that's obviously, I mean, not that it still couldn't be somebody working for Odahan or, you know, somebody working for the Unsealy court or whatever, but to me that, points to it being like judicators as well because they're not mm -hmm. familiar with whoever the judicators handler may or may not be so yeah um that's my guess so we might get to see them in action start of next episode uh which if if it is adjudicator and there is a combat that they can't get out of I'm interested to see. Like, I obviously don't think Matt's just gonna TPK them, but to me, I feel like adjudicator is gonna be it has to be like a powerful entity, right? And I mean, I guess what we're level we're level eight, eight. now because they yeah, just leveled up. And I mean, there are like you know a lot of them, so maybe it just ends up being a a difficult encounter, but not like a a curb stomp. And also, I wonder if there's like power levels amongst adjudicators. Like, are they all the same, or are there like some that are way strong? Um, you know, I don't Matt's know. That's going to do the, the route of like hair color. Like this one has red hair. This one has gold hair. It's like, oh man, that's a gold one. Super oh, sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the implications are also really interesting of if it is adjudicator and they fight the adjudicator, 
and they kill the judicator plus whoever is that judicator's handler are you now are you now uh in the you know what I'm saying? yeah like because i mean we could go i mean we could dive into this infinitely really but like are they really the bad guys i mean it's like a i mean if they're out there to murder Eben old kai i mean obviously that's they're kind of shady for just trying to hide information but like who knows what these people even know like the judicator might just be a mindless soldier you know or i don't know there's just a lot to unpack like that's a great point though like they're making a a very big enemy if they attack yeah. you know these the, the high priestesses and priests of vasselheim essentially well and it's a bit of a like a biased point of view from like a storytelling perspective because we have assumed the grim verity are the good guys um and it check it ticks a lot of boxes of like you know it belongs in a museum you know, yeah like you know but actually it could be the leaders of the platinum platinum sanctuary are like no like this is this is for the good of exandria like this is to protect everybody right um and this rogue group has stolen these texts like we assume they're the good guys but i don't know yeah and it's interesting it'll be interesting we may never get their perspective but what do they know like do they are they aware of all of this ruinous activity and all these these factions out there that are trying to utilize it and do they even know about the truth of <laughs> of the moon like were they even allowed to read the forbidden text you know i'm sure most yeah. weren't like i'm sure this foot soldier that's out hunting them probably doesn't actually know what's in the text they've just been told I, to yeah deal I, with it you know i'm assuming they know about what's in the text which is why they're so visceral in protecting that information i don't think they're aware of well, when I mean, you say uh, they, do you mean like the judicator or do you mean no, the person no. that made the orders? The person who made the order. Yeah, yeah, okay. The high yeah, exit, there. whatever. Yeah. I don't know if they're aware of Adahan Thul in the sense of, I think there's like a general understanding of apogee solstice. Stuff gets crazy. Um, Keila said it herself, like, oh, like everyone's trying to take advantage of it. Like I have a lot of fires to put out. So I think they're aware of that. But we know that Adahan Thul has been so clever in you know the broomstone which is still not resolved by the way the broomstone yeah. all the things that have been secretly um the liquids uh not luck potions uh what's it called the the luck oh, yeah, yeah 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 the the dunamis potions of possibility yeah yeah yes yes all of those things um you know the cerberus assembly which um hang on you know, is seemingly extremely involved in all of this. All that to say, um, if the Grim Verity is the one who's in the know of all of these people are coming in droves now to Marquette, who are you going to tell if you if you yourself are on the run? You know, you can't go to the the good guys to tell them what you know. Um, they so tried, curious. right? But they were met with denial and. Well, they tried to tell them about what was in the text, right? right and right. they were like, that's not that's not true. But once you've been sort of excommunicated, I guess, it's like, hey, there's a lot of bad guys. Like, who do we... It's kind of like, we got to take care of it ourselves, right? Which right. is, I guess, coincidentally how they got involved with playing Ryder Wren, um, which is a whole nother, by the way. <laughs> there's so much to talk about. Man. I know, this there's so many moving parts, too. And, yeah, and there's still the Nightmare King, which we haven't talked about. <laughs> And the actual ruinous stuff, yeah. And yeah, we haven't uh, talked about and the actual Ethodoc, Vordo, and okay, right, right. So 
not to try to what do you want to talk about next? Let's talk about like the the random kind of details first, and then let's let's wrap up really diving into Ruidus in that whole okay. thing. So okay. the two breadcrumbs I think of is the Nightmare King and then Morrigan. Um, okay. So starting with the Nightmare King, um, seems like they were a bit surprised to hear about the Nightmare King. Like it doesn't things don't really line up there. And then when they added on that, it seems like the Nightmare King's working for you know, Paragon's call or uh, the Ruidus side. Um, they were like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Well, he seems to be cool. on his own side. It seems he seems to something. have his hand in yeah. every pot, you know? Right. Yeah. What What is going on there with... And they even actually... Ren actually even says like, yeah, it might be someone who could be an ally to you. Yeah. Um, and he's like, well, really? Why? And he's like, well, chaos. Seems like this person loves chaos. So... Yeah. I mean, I think he's definitely he's looking out for number one, but that might mean that they align on some things, you know? Uh, so one thing quickly on the nightmare King, and I believe we talked about this back, whatever episode it was when they last saw him with the device. And then, you know, he stole the, whatever and ran away. Time crowd. Yeah. So there remember before he left, he changed the telescope to look at something and then he left. Right. So I think now, knowing what we know, he was looking at this nexus on the prime material plane, this third one where there's a device yeah. uh, that the Cerberus Assembly has taken over. So I feel like he was checking up on them there. Because at the time, we were confused because we didn't really know that there was a device separate from the one they were literally using at the time. We didn't know there was one on the prime material plane. We knew about the Feywild yeah. one. Right. So I remember being confused, like, did he look through the telescope and see the Feywild? But now to me, I think it makes sense that he was looking at that just to check right. up on like their, how far they were along on this yeah. the other device. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it seems like, and they even said this, that these telescopes are powered by incredibly powerful items is what they surmised. I don't know if that's actually true or not, but... Yeah, I don't, man, I don't know. And so, okay, okay we know that that the Nightmare King built the one in when in your the, boss the basement. Yeah, yeah, and with the Fern's parents or whatever. Yeah, sort of the duct tape one. He built his own. Yeah, which I would not consider one of the three. It's like this separate one that right. They were just doing to figure out what's going on themselves. He helped build the Feywild one, right? Wait, I can't hear you. Is it something on my end? Oh, sorry. I've been oh, there you go. this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. So, yeah. He he built that one. Uh, it's separate, the Feywild one? It, sorry. He helped build the Feywild one, like you mentioned. Okay. And there's something weird going on with the Feywild where Ruidus is imposing on that plane as well. Yeah. Well, wait. Pause on that because I want to oh talk about that too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but so, okay. He helped make... The Fern and Birdie one aside, let's just not even talk about that Can we get like one. the Pepe Sylvia thing <laughs> up and like start connecting? We need it. All right. So there's okay. three, again, ex- excluding the Fern's parents ones. There's three. Shadow okay. of Feywild, right. Prime Material Plane. We know right. he helped build the Feywild one. Right. And we know that the Cerberus Assembly was there in the Feywild, like with Atahan looking right. at it. Right. So the Cerberus Assembly is the one that's building one on the Prime Material Plane. So perhaps the Cerberus right. Assembly was in the Feywild to inspect this device so that they could then build one of their own, which is why he then checks on it and be like, oh, look, they, they're trying to 
yeah. they're trying to copy me do what i did because it didn't know, seem like he had an involvement with that one right and we know that they also the cerberus assembly built the third one in the shadow fell right uh with their sort of ramshackle little you know place um which it's interesting it's interesting for however many planes there are it's like why why the fey wild why the prime material plane and why shadow the shadow fell like why and not like the plane of fire why not you know like well, what's yeah so i think i have an idea at least it's because i don't know i think it was plane writer rin that was explaining this but she explained that the shadow fell and the fey wild were like the closest realms to the the prime realm like they hug it okay so yeah. it's interesting okay. that those are the three um and it's also interesting that you can see ruidus in the feywild i'm assuming you can see it in the Shadowfell. right i don't know if that's a fair assumption i think it is yeah and i'm uh, this is pure speculation now but we know that the gods originally balled up Perdathos in his little prison and tried to send it away so to me i don't think they just threw it into space like they tried to like banish it but because right. the ver the verbiage was like, but it clung on and right. now it hangs in the sky. Sorry, so, my dog. No, you're good. So I think they were trying to literally like banish it to another plane of existence, but yeah. with Perdathos's strength or whatever. And this is I'm getting Pepe Silva. I think he was able to cling on and kind of hold a grasp through three dimensions. He has like. He has like a slight tether to the prime material yeah. plane, to the Feywild, and to the Shadowfell. Yeah. And maybe it's because of the two gods he ate, Ethodoc, the god of shadow. Oh my god. And the oh fate my gosh. the fate weaver, whatever the name was, what? which was yeah. Vordo. I mean, it seems like Vordo really fits with the Feywild, and it seems like Ethodoc really fits with the Shadowfell. So like maybe that's yeah. why it's those three realms. And maybe they're trying to like break his partial banishment to bring him back to like full plane of reality oh my gosh I so love that's why that. like the devices need to exist in all three yeah that's, that's my crackpot theory i love it ship it ship it cut the short put it on tiktok we got it man <laughs> that is it boom <laughs> yeah i love that and which have we have we had in critical role history have we ever been to the shadow fell yes okay okay I don't know why I didn't have a follow-up question. <laughs> I was more just like, oh, okay. Not not I just much. Think we were going for the first time or not. No, we have. I'm pretty sure, unless I'm confusing it with like the nine hells or something, but I'm pretty sure. They do go to the nine hells at some point. Cause that's where uh Percy makes his right uh agreement um that leads to the tiefling child. Oh no, they definitely go there. They definitely go there. Okay. I'm remembering now. You're like, oh yeah, this is all messed up. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, because even I think uh plane rider Ren mentioned like they're more than just telescopes. They're about like they have like reality tethering or something, which would make yeah. sense if their goal is to like pull Pradathos back into reality, for lack of a better word. Yeah, um, sorry, I'm just gonna text my wife to see if she can figure out why my dog barking every eight seconds. <laughs> So yeah, I I'm interested. So for my money, Nightmare King built the the Feywild one, but the other two were people trying to copy him. Now, why was he not involved with the other two? Did he not want to be? Did 
did they want him to do it and he wouldn't? Uh, you know, I'm very confused for how he fits into this. What does he want from this? Is he just like chaos yeah. is beautiful? I want to see the world burn, or what the I heck think, is his plan? I think he was hired to help build the first one out of like curiosity, and then they're like, "All right, we got," it. and he was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> <laughs> So they brought in a a younger one or something. I don't know. I mean, that but, makes sense too. Yeah, it it does seem like they are heading to the Shadowfell next, though. Um, which I'm I'm very excited of because I've never, you know, indulged much in what the Shadowfell is like. Bell's Hells, um, you mean? Yeah, right. I feels like they're going to the Feywild next. I would say. Oh, right. Yes, but yes, but Feywild to visit Mori with idea. I mean, they could go. It could be whatever Matt lets them do, you know, right. they decide to take on the telescope that's controlled by the Unseelie court, which we have some NPCs there that I can't think of the names, but, um, who have been named, but haven't been seen yet. Right. Um, but then also it seemed like Rin was pointing them towards, Hey, the shadow fell is the least defended, um, place, which, um, you know how far this group has come from being you know antics and dressar to now <laughs> you know jumping planes of existence but i want to talk about more again yeah, um, yeah the yeah. fate stitcher uh the archfey the protector of a fane of power yeah one of the hearts have, yeah one of the hearts of the Feywild. what have we heard of this object before or whatever this is no i don't think so i mean th those are words like fane and stuff has been thrown out, but I don't think, and y'all correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think like specifically hearts of the Feywild were ever really mentioned before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, clearly there are, are domains of power split amongst the, the, the Feywild. And I wonder what, if any, that has to do with the fact that Vordo was devoured. It, I mean, cause it's just an, a guess on my part that Vordo might be like associated with the Fae. Um, but if, if they were, and you know, that power vacuum that existed once it got devoured, I mean, you, I would presume other gods would just take up those domains, but it might be why in the Feywild mm -hmm. there are Arch Fae. Like maybe they each have a piece of that power that was left in the vacuum of Vordo being eaten. There is an item called the Fane Eater. Which was a battle axe used by Arcan the Cruel. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it, it's, it's. This is why I say this episode was crazy for like the implications of Alexandria because it opens the door for like what are these fanes? You know, it's obviously so. It's interesting that this is in, implicitly an, an item or something of incredible in the Feywild, but because it's in Morgan's domain, people haven't ventured in there, haven't traveled in there for fear of Morgan, I guess. Yeah. Um, so even though it's like, yeah, it's a really powerful thing, but we still, you know, we don't go there because Morgan is even more terrifying, I guess. Um, I don't know. It's interesting to me. Which I don't know. Is Morgan as powerful as she is because of the, this fane, or you know, in and of herself already terrifying? Yeah, it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, is she so powerful because of that, or yeah, is she so powerful and then I don't know? Yeah, it's a good yeah. question. Here, here's a question for you. You know, um, when they were and when Imogen was messaging uh, 
Morgan. And they're like, oh, of course, like my little lovey-dovey Fern, whatever. Yeah. Come, come on, I'd love to help. And Or I think said what we were thinking or what I was thinking was like, she sounds terrifying. You and I talked about uh, this curiosity around, is she a hag? Um, which hags in D&D are very much... Um, you know, the um, monkey's paw, you know, it's you make an agreement, make a deal and not quite realize like what you're you're bargaining for, what you're mm-hmm. giving away. Uh, we talked about um, with Fern uh, being left there, her parents possibly not realizing that they were actually bartering their daughter right. um, for safety, I guess. Um I'm curious if we're going to see this play out in a similar way of the party gets more than they bargain for or not quite what they realized they were bargaining in order to get help from Morgan. Yeah. I mean, this I'm so interested to just see more about her. Cause that's one of the things we've been talking about at various points through the campaign is like, what's actually going on here? Like, right. Does she actually like love Fern? That's one of the things I'm really curious about, or is it all just a, and not that it can't be a gray area of like, yeah, deal was yeah. made, but she grew to have an affection for her type of thing. But yeah, what what is Morgan? What is this Fane? Like, what is the fact that she's called a fate stitcher? I, I feel like can't be nothing when we just right. found out that Vordo was the god of fate. So I feel like it also slots right. in nicely that maybe well, these we, Archfey have powers because of the yeah. vacuum. Well, and presumably can control the time dilation piece yeah which we knew that has happened before oh, in okay. campaign one okay. so like these archfey of which there are many i don't know if that's fair to say but there's more than one for certain yeah and i'm, I'm guessing every person that controls a, a fane a heart of the feywild maybe that's what makes them an archfey yeah maybe maybe it's like not all not all squares are rectangles but all rectangles are squares types of things so who knows but i've never heard that but that, i like that <laughs> uh so yeah, I, I don't really have anything interesting to add to this. Just that I'm so like I really hope that we do indeed go to the Feywild next because there's so many, so much potential for like juiciness yeah. and some answers regarding all of this. Well, hopefully some answers. We know that the memory for Fern's parents was seemingly purposely uh, ob- obfuscated. Like it was, mm-hmm. and we don't know if that was from the Nightmare King. Or from Morgan, but something. Remember, they were digging into. Um, I think it was her dad's memory, and his nose started to bleed. And it was like there was a portion that like wasn't like hidden, but was like just gone, right? Like, just literally gone. Right. And so, I'm curious if we're going to get some resolution there. And we also know that the reason I wonder if maybe we it seemed like the Nightmare King affected it because he was in the memory, but we also know with Fern she had from exu season one the false memory that morgan had implanted of where it came to find out that morgan had sent her um to exandria which is interesting you know you're you've been given this person to watch over and then you purposely relinquish her um i'm just curious if we're gonna get more information there as well yeah, I I hope so because there's definitely some memory alterings and some weird time things that have happened, and yeah. not uh, this maybe is not tied into what we're currently talking about, but the whole dark fern thing from EXU too, like, right? It's hard to to pinpoint if that was actually like 
canonical like something right. to really dive into or if it was one of those kind of weird things from exu where they were kind of not i don't not to get into it right now but that's canon ish you know mm-hmm. so so many so many so much potential for some some interesting insights if we do go there which it seems yeah. like we're going to but yeah. that being said i mean they're currently in eos about to face down adjudicator so maybe they how are they even going to get to the Feywild? yeah Right. I'm surprised yeah. they didn't just tell Rin. Well, I guess <laughs> they needed Ashton, but I was surprised they didn't tell yeah. Rin just to, to port them there. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I was going to say something else about it, but um, I guess in the interest of time, this is, this is getting to be a lengthy episode. Yeah. Um, hang with us, guys, because we're about to dive into the meat, the real meat of the episode. <laughs> Bro, what the heck is going on with Pradathos and... Um, it, it, Ethodoc, 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 and the Shadow. Um, this creature from beyond the stars, who the gods feared and even ate, <laughs> <laughs> simply being larger, uh, ate the other two gods, uh, and then was banished. What was going through your mind with this information? I don't know what to make of this, man. Ethodoc, the Endless Shadow, is like the coolest thing I've ever heard of, though. I thought that was. Awesome. Um, oh yeah, and I thought that was going to be the name for Nauruidus. He's like, <laughs> and then it was eaten by. And I was like, oh, okay. So <laughs> as terrifying as this name is, you know. So yeah, I think the really interesting things there were that, and who knows how how deeply I can look at the way specific things were said. I'm not going to hold Matt to that, or you know, because like I mean, also it could just be that's what the text said, but that isn't yeah. what actually happened but the way it was worded was that like the gods knew of pradathos before it showed up like to me it wasn't like this thing showed up and what is it Uh, it, to me let me see if i can find it in my notes really quick it said that it resisted their miracles and created its own like twisted creation like life in its wake yeah yeah uh, so, okay, so I found the line that I'm talking about at least, which again, maybe it's not fair to dive into it this much, but something from beyond the stars that the gods recognized arrived yes. here. So the fact that they recognized it to me means that they knew of it before. I don't know if that's fair or not, but if it is, wonder if they were running from it initially like wherever the gods and maybe we're going to get some of this deep, deep, deep lore about like where the gods came from. But maybe they were running from something, maybe even Pradathos, when they found Exandria and decided to like start anew here, and then it found them. Yeah. Or, you know. I don't know. I feel like the fact that because they then seem surprised that it resists their miracles, which if they knew of it before, then they probably would have known that, right? Um, and also if they had the capability to imprison it and they knew it before, why didn't they imprison it then? But they did have the help of the primordials to do it. So maybe that's why they couldn't do it in the past, but could do it now. I don't know. But for me, I feel like this is something we've talked about is if if Ruidus, which we now know to be Pradathos, is kind of this antithesis to the Luxon, that kind of makes sense to me. Like it's the the yin and the yang of the universe. You've got like this life-giving force and this one that consumes it basically. Remember also in Calamity with Xerxes, there was language around yeah. him drawing his power from beyond the stars. Yeah. 
That's yeah. yeah. All I got, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah. At the time, <laughs> I remember talking about this. I think I even tweeted. Uh, um, blanking Luis uh, about yeah. it, and he like I don't remember. I don't. I shouldn't even bring this up because I don't remember the wordage. But he was like, he didn't even know because I thought I was asking him if like he knew. Because I think at the time I was thinking it was the Luxon that he was referring to, but now it could be Perdathos. But in any case. Is- is are these implied to be different entities, by the way? The Luxon and Pradathos? I would think so, but maybe I mean who knows, I guess. Yeah, okay. So this entity arrives, resists miracles, creates twisted, which I wonder if those twisted creations are present in today's Exandria. Like if they've encountered it without knowing, or you know. Or if they were lumped in with, you know, the vacuum cleaner that the gods cooked up and, you know, sent them all off, um, which that's a detail, by the way, the city, they don't really seem to know what it is, but they surmise that a piece of Exandria was used to banish it. And they said, well, is that the city? And they said, we don't know. It could have been a continent. Mm-hmm. Um, we know of one continent that was destroyed in the calamity. Um, so this is, they said it's way before that. So right. potentially another continent that was you know destroyed or it could have been just you know random ramblings i guess um yeah i don't know (laughs) yeah by the way um i was curious about the episode title axiom shaken and i thought it's kind of a curious you know i don't know if you thought about this at all um um yeah, like a, like axiom of beliefs, or isn't that kind of like? Is that what axiom means? Like it's like a. I, like a I set. don't know what it means. <laughs> Let's see. But I looked up where has the name axiom shown up in Critical Role before, mm-hmm. and it's the um, the uh, Sphinx. It's the, it's called the Cavern of Axiom, where from campaign they, one from campaign one. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't watch it, so I don't know. I can't comment on it. <laughs> but uh, well, the Sphinxes know a lot, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but yeah. axiom, real quick, is just a statement or proposition which is regarded as being established, accepted, or self-evidently true. So it kind of makes sense in in the regard of we thought this to be true of like the Pantheon and the gods, and now there's yeah. just new information that we're finding yeah. out. No, I'm going to really go with the cavern theory. <laughs> Hey, I'm not saying they both can't be relevant. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> okay, so here's where does this go? What's the end game here? What is did you did you also catch how they said that in recent years, like the rudest born used to be a bit rarer, but in recent years it's been happening more and more. These flares have been happening more and more. There are all these people are coming in droves to market. Yeah. What this army like what is happening what's the end game what's this apex this apogee solstice event bro what kind of freaking thing is going to happen in the campaign in the next in sub two weeks game time yeah i mean for my money all the so uh pradathos locked away obviously is powerful supremely powerful just on his own before he even ate Ethodoc and and Vordo, but he did eat them. And Vordo was like the god of fate, right? So I could see that like maybe Pradathos didn't even need 
to eat Vordo to be able to do this, but maybe because he now has fate powers, sort of. Like, that's how he's pulling these strings of, like, all these Ruidus-born people, like, you know, influencing their lives, their fates, if you will, um, to ultimately free him. So I think that, like, all these Ruidus-borns are coming and they're just integral due to their their abilities, their power, whatever you want to call so it. I think it's like a Source of Supreme, like, seeing every possible future and, like, this one, despite it being thousands of years later, this is the one that will ultimately free him yeah like or, i needed to it. i needed to influence elixian's life in this way yeah. and i needed to influence odahan here and, and imogen yeah. here uh but i think specifically now also probably because we have this super big apex you know like what what is it called a solstice uh apogee solstice apogee solstice so you know there's been like normal solstices and stuff but this is the apogee solstice yeah. so like that combined with the ley line energy combined with all these rudisborns people's energy like all those things had to line up for him to be freed so that's my best right. guess is that he's pulling those strings throughout the thousands of years that have all led to this moment well and then presumably this party can't take on Pradathos. Yeah, I mean the gods couldn't even take him on, right? So like I don't know what and it also doesn't feel like we're far like we're not through the far enough in the campaign for this to be like the big bad final situation, right? right? So to me it seems like they aren't gonna like maybe they will be successful at at, at disrupting this solstice ritual if you will and then but then where's the campaign move on from there so to me yeah. it seems like they almost kind of have to fail at least in some regard and and rudis is brought back into like the main existence yeah, I, mean, I i wonder two things i think is something has to happen to really boost this party's power level if they're going to take on Odahan and what this army which i know they said we're not gonna take on an army but i mean Odahan's not gonna be like you know take me right. alone so <laughs> yeah could there be some sort of vestige of divergent divergence thing that happens? Like you're going to need, you know, somewhere to campaign one where they needed the vestiges to take on the um, Chroma Conclave, um, or two, which I, I think that's accurate. I don't know if that is accurate, um, just from what I understand the premise yeah, yeah. of that too. Yeah, and then two. Um, the only other thought I had was. Morgan promising, like, I'll take care of the timey-wimey stuff. I thought it'd be interesting if they come back from the Shadowfell and if they even go there, but back from the Fae and it's past, which we talked about this before. Oh. What if they come back and it's past, and Morgan's like, yeah, I took care of it. You're safe. And it's past this event, and it's like a post-Calamity-esque world, you know, like Link to the Past, like where you go to the future and the world's like ruined. Um... And now it's now it's like we have to get ourselves back to that point to stop it from happening. Or I don't know. I just thought that'd be kind of crazy. That would be crazy, like in a in a cool way. I yeah, I think that would be awesome if that happened. I obviously you know the details of what exactly they're coming back to. You know, I don't know if the world would be ruined, but I could. It would be cool if like the solstice had passed, or at least like you know they couldn't stop it or whatever. That would be really interesting. Right. I wonder, and this might not be worth diving into, so since it's a complete what if, but I wonder how many people would be like upset that like they didn't even get the like viewers. I mean, like would be raging about like oh they didn't even get a chance to you know. I I do think there is a bit of 
of that where it's like there's been so much buildup there's been so much buildup to this for it not to be experienced yeah. is painful unless they ultimately do they have to. to go back to stop it we have to happening. go back yeah <laughs> you know then because we've talked about like the, like the pacing of the entire campaign if this goes to 120 150 episodes we're around about a third of the way through the apogee solstice is in us up two weeks if we get there by episode 60 um which i think is fair i don't know um if we get there by episode 60 what happens for the rest of the campaign mm-hmm. and you said to yourself of like this has like been the biggest event like where does it go from here um you know i could see that it's still being a climactic point of the entire campaign if they have to go back to stop it or something i don't know like knowing what they know now kind of thing yeah so that would certainly be cool and would potentially explain the dark fern time travel weirdness that's apparently going on but yeah yeah, i think that because we are a third through the campaign and there's got to be more that's coming right so for my money they either I don't know. I feel like even even if they are successful in sabotage, whatever that may look like, I don't think they're going to be whatever sabotage they do is not going to like, oh, well, that's done. Like, it'll still be on the table. So that's my only guess. Or they just aren't successful at all. And Ruidus does come back, whatever that means. But then that's not like that's not like the apocalypse in that moment. It's just now like, oh, that's the first the first yeah. domino to fall over is that that's back now. And then over the you know second two thirds yeah. of the campaign, we see what that unfolds into. Is it possible that we ever see like a, like we know from the details around Elixian that this essence of Ruta seems to corrupt. And also the details about Adahan was that she was a warrior and then like something changed her. As a, I can't remember the exact phrasing. Is there yeah. a, an outcome where she becomes healed or something or becomes part of the you know the group you know becomes an ally i don't know like i'm kind of fills the void of esteros which you know it doesn't really make sense it would be her but i'm just curious i think i I guess point i'm getting at is the complexity of ruidus this may not be as cut and dry as you're going to battle with adon take out adon then you're going to battle with the next one take them out um there may be some layers here yeah for sure and I do think it absolutely has the at least ability to corrupt. I don't know if it that is like its certainty though, because right. I think the implication. Oh, well, Elixian was like a hero, you know, right. and maybe he was just being puppeted for some greater purpose by Ruidus. Like, um, but we do, and not to get into the deep Elixian lore, but we know that he is, you know, slumbering and has been like right. this corrupted influence over the past however many years. But I know that the God, I think he's redeemable because I think the gods are like looking for heroes to yeah. go save him type of thing. Yeah. So if, if, if Odahan is corrupted, then that at least implies the potential for her redemption yeah. as well. But I don't really know if I see it going that way. And it's implied that Liliana is with Odahan, right? I think which so. We, She's... Which we surmised as much that Liliana was possibly working with Odahan. Um, so makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? There's uh, <laughs> so much. Let me just take a quick glance through the notes here. I think we talked about most of the things I wanted to. Oh, the only other thing I wanted to, 
to briefly touch on was this Tishtam culture that was mentioned. Yeah, you know that's coming up again, right? That like they were they mysteriously vanished, which I thought it was weird. And my first guess was like, is that the city on Rhodus? Is it that? Right. Is it those people? Yeah. Which, which maybe it is. Um, but also I don't know if the timing works out or not. But maybe it's them. But this nexus north of Eos at the service assembly, and you know, that was apparent. That was their site or whatever, right? right. The Tishtans like are the one that built monuments or whatever. So if they're not the city on Rudis, the other only thought I had was maybe this Tishtan culture or whatever were like the first Rudis borns because they talked uh, about how they have this like magic and these abilities. Right. And then they just vanished. Maybe they vanished because Vasselheim and the powers that be were like, nope, like, you know, like for the same reasons they're trying to now, you know, make the Grim Verity forgotten. Yeah. Maybe that culture yeah. needed to be forgotten yeah. i don't yeah. know well last thing i'll say is ren's final warning to the group which felt like not just ren but also from matt um that there would be a, a lot of terrible things coming to exandria or things happening over the next couple of weeks and telling the group hey it's likely some of you aren't going to make it through this sheesh I I didn't know how to digest that. I just was like, <laughs> I almost like rioted when Ladna died. So I don't know. I don't know how much of that was Matt and how much of that was Rick. like NPC flavor versus Matt as DM being like, hey, just know this is a possibility. I mean, I think it was both. I think I think that was fully something Rin would say, but I definitely think that was like Matt letting them know that like like this these next steps, like if you're gonna be doing this, like make like get prepared type of thing, you know? Yeah. So I mean I obviously don't think that there's like a like a death barrier that Matt's like, all right, I'm not letting them progress past this part in the narrative until two of them die or anything right. like that. Yeah. But yeah. you know, just letting them know what's up that enter the I danger mean, zone. Yeah, I mean, could we see a TPK with this apogee solstice and then the second half of the campaign's a different... That would be crazy, route? man. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't want there to be a TPK in Critical Role, but part of me is so morbidly curious like how that would be handled yeah. <laughs> that I would yeah. I want to see. Um, yeah. I don't ever think that would be planned unless they were all in on it. Yeah. Like, I don't think that would be something Matt planned, like, oh, I'm going to kill right. them all here. Um, right. I don't think he would do that to them, but... That would be really interesting if, I mean, it could just happen, obviously, but yeah. Getting juicy. Okay. A lot of crazy stuff this episode. Let us know what you think. Comments below. We want to hear from you. And we're back to find out more next Thursday. So uh, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at the Pixelists. Um, we're on TikTok. We're on everywhere you can listen to podcasts. And uh, stay tuned. We'll see. Uh, be lots to talk about in the coming weeks. Yep. Oh, thumbnail. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, this is so long. There's so much stuff. I don't know. Maybe like I'm just gonna be like taking notes. I guess maybe. Yeah, I'm gonna do like a like a trying to take it all in kind of face. Yeah, I'm gonna be like a <laughs> nice. All right. All right, guys. We'll catch you later. See y'all.